So we're going to talk about failure today. And when I think of failure, I think of kind of two types of failure. There's the failure, I guess, um, if you, you know, I wanted to be a running back in high school, football, right? That didn't work out too good. That was a failed attempt, right? Um, I wanted to be a rock star. That didn't happen either. Um, But, you know, when you think of failing, like Thomas Edison said that, he, uh, he didn't fail in inventing the light bulb. He figured out 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. So there is that part of failure that, that is your teacher, and you learn from failure. The, the type of failure we're talking about today, though, is that intentional disobedience. When we hurt somebody else, we make a bad decision, we make a bad choice or our behavior, whatever it is, it's, it's intentional more on our part. And so that's what happened in the life of David. And I think it's important that when you think of David in this series that we're doing, David had a lot of highlights, right? David and Goliath. And many of the awesome things that David did as we continue in this series, we're going to look at him as a worshiper, writing so many of the Psalms and things that he did that we get this prayer book in the Psalms that David wrote a large portion of. He had a heart after God. He really did. God said about David before he had ever done anything that he was a man after his heart. And he knew that David was going to ultimately have his failures. I love that. I take courage in the fact that that David had low lights in his life and everything wasn't just the, the Sunday school, you know, big things that he did or the good things, but that God recorded for us his failures so that you and I could take comfort and know the gospel even more and that we could have courage. So this morning, you are going to be touched in in one of three possibilities. You're going to think about past failures, something that you failed in your life and you made a bad choice, a bad decision. And I'm praying that God would bring an awakening to you about how real the gospel is. Some in this room right now, you're in a present time failure. You're going through something where you made a bad decision. And I don't mean everything has to be huge, but, but some sort of failure that you're regretting right now. Listen, the gospel's for you, and this message is for you. And the fact is, all of us have future failures ahead of us. Like it or not, we are imperfect people following a perfect savior. And I love that God loves broken failures because that's all there is. Ultimately, that's why Jesus came, was to restore us from our failures to a life with God, as Rachel said, to live a life that's good and pleasing to God. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Sometimes we like to compare who's fallen a little more (laughs) short than we have, and it makes us feel better. But the reality is this playing field is is level because we've all fallen short. We're all broken. And so David created a major scandal in his life. In 2 Samuel 11 and 12 is the story of him committing adultery with Bathsheba. And he, this, this was scandalous. I mean, it's crazy. It, it says in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, that in the springtime, 
when kings are off at war, um, David chose not to go to war. Now, in those days, the, the kings were not just the leaders, but they were also the military leaders as well. And so David's very first problem in finding this failure in his life was that he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And you'll find that in your life, that our failures, we're tempted when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so David, he's supposed to be off at war, but he's not. And one day he's looking off his balcony of his palace, and he sees a young lady named Bathsheba who's married to a man named Uriah. He sees her bathing. And David totally lets his guard down, and he goes and invites her back to his palace takes advantage of her. Because I, I feel sorry for Bathsheba in this story. I have a lot of compassion for her because you got to know that David was, he was using his power as a king to manipulate a situation. And um, so his sin just continues to, to snowball, not being where he was supposed to be, inviting her to, to his bedroom. He sleeps with her and a little bit of time goes by and she gives word back to David that she's pregnant. She has his child. And David, his failure just, again, snowballs. And so what he does is he connives this plan to try to cover up what he's done. And he calls for Uriah the Hittite, who's married to Bathsheba, to come back from battle, take a little furlough. And so he comes back, and, and David's like, hey, you know, enjoy life at home, be with your wife, etc. And Uriah is a man of real humility and integrity. And he says, I can't do that. He said, all my fellow soldiers are out at war right now, sleeping in tents. I can't come and indulge in, in ordinary life. And so he sleeps outside the, the door of his, his house. David's like, man, I got to get this guy <laughs> on the same page with me here to cover this up. So it says right in, in the text that David got him drunk. And he thought, if I get him drunk, his inhibitions will go down, and, and maybe then he'll go and, and be with his wife, and we can cover this, this up. He refuses to do that, even in a pretty drunken stupor. So David says, you know what, Joab, send Uriah to the front line of battle. Send him there, and then when he's all by himself, let everybody you know, split, and he'll get killed. And then we can blame the, you know, the war on his death, and then I can be free from this. And this is serious stuff, right? He commits adultery. He has Uriah murdered. Word gets back to Bathsheba that her husband had been killed, and she mourns, and then David takes her as his wife. In chapter 12, Nathan the prophet comes to David. He says, David, he said, there was a, a guy that was very rich, tons of cattle, tons of sheep, had, had boatloads of, of inventory, so to speak. And there was this one man who had one little lamb, and it was very precious to him. It was his prized possession. And a traveler came by, and he went to the rich man to see if he could buy uh, one of his lambs. And he took the lamb from the guy that only had one and gave it to the man. And David hears this story and he says, who is this guy? He deserves justice. He will die for what he's done. What does Nathan say? He says, you're the man. 
you are the man. You're the guy I'm talking about in this story. And Nathan rebukes him, and David says, I've sinned against the Lord. He's broken. And Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin, which is crazy. The Lord has taken away your sin. And Nathan goes on to tell him that, you know, the Lord's taken away your, your, your sin, but there's going to be consequences for your actions. And sure enough, David and Bathsheba lost that child. And so when you, as you continue reading, they did conceive another child named Solomon. Solomon, their son, went on to be, you know, take Israel to an incredible heights as a king. Also, they led to their downfall as well. But within this story, you just see this scandal. And what did David's face look like when Nathan called him out, right? I remember years ago seeing a news thing where a pastor, a famous pastor, had been caught in a scandal as well, and someone had told on him to the media, and the TV cameras were right there on his car when he pulled up to his house, and his wife and children are in the car, and they're asking if these allegations were true, and I just remember the look on his face was like, I've ruined my life. And these types of things are so brutal when people go through something like this. Well, what David did when he said, I've sinned against the Lord, he pinned a very famous psalm, Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance. And it literally, in the original manuscript, says Psalm 51, a psalm of David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so we're going to look at how David responded to his sin, how he responded to his failure, and we're going to look at how God responds to it as well, and how we get this big picture of the gospel within Psalm 51. So what should we do when we fail? Whether it's small failure, big failure, what should we do with our failures? The first thing I would tell you is don't keep them in the dark. Don't keep your failures in the dark. Take responsibility when you fail. Be quick to acknowledge your failures Be quick to acknowledge what you've done. This begins the restoration process. When you fail, it it begins, we're always, whether it's big or small, being restored back into that right relationship with the Lord. Here's what David says in Psalm 51, the first three verses. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Do you notice in there, David's calling on the character of God, that God's merciful, that God's love is unfailing, that he's compassionate, but he brings his responsibility to light when he says, for I recognize my rebellion. That's the very first thing we do, is recognize and bring it to light rather than keeping it in the dark. Nothing healthy grows in the dark. Only toxic things grow in the dark. Mold, fungus, roaches, <laughs> you know, that, they all grow in the dark. Anything healthy like flowers, vegetables, plants, the things that we need, they need light in order to grow. We need light in our hearts We need to bring our failures into the light. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he said, I'm the light of the world. 
whoever follows me will not walk, walk in darkness. I love that. When we're following Jesus, we're, we're walking in his light. and He's the light of the world. And so when you fail, you know, it, we're all, walking with Jesus is, is this constant, we're on this path with him. And the word of God has this way of, of showing us what the path is shows us when we've gotten off the path and we're not following Jesus, we're following ourselves, our flesh, or our selfishness. The Word of God shows us how to get back on this path of following Jesus and how to continue in that. So if you've gotten off the path and you failed a bit, it's time to get back to following him. Because whenever I sin, whenever I fail, it's a failure to let Jesus lead in my life. And we're working as disciples and growing in our understanding of him. Second thing, after you bring it to light, is confess your failures to God and to the appropriate others. This continues the, the restoration process. It begins when we, when we recognize or admit or take responsibility, and then we confess them to God and to the appropriate others. David continues in Psalm 51, he says, Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right when you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the, from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Confessing our sins to God is agreeing with God that what we've done is wrong and, and not loving. All sin boils down to a failure to love God, to love others. Everything's going to come from one of those, a failure to love God, a failure to, to love, love people. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So you confess your sins to God, bring them to him. But then as it says in James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Why, why should we confess our sins to others? I mean, God's the one that we, we, we sin against, right? So why should I... Let somebody in on that. Well, there's healing there. That's what James said. When you confess your faults, your failures to somebody else that you trust, then you're going to find healing. Um, usually everybody has some sort of besetting sin or habitual sin, right? The habitual sin is one of those sins that you say, God, I'm sorry I did it again. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry I did it again. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I'm sorry I did it again. When you get stuck in a habitual sin, it becomes easy to some degree to say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry I did that. But where confessing sin to somebody else makes it more tangible. Not that we shouldn't talk to God about it. Don't, don't hear that. But when you share it with somebody else, it makes it more tangible. It makes, brings accountability, and it brings ultimate healing. Why? Because it takes humility to admit to somebody that you failed. When you admit you failed, that means that you're not as great as you, people might think you are, right? And we, we have this pride 
in our life that doesn't let us admit our failures. I'm glad we have a culture at Novation of understanding our brokenness and that we're all broken and in need of grace. Whether you've been following Jesus for 60 years or you're not sure who he is, everybody's on the same playing field of brokenness. That's where the gospel comes in for all of us. Um, Last week, you saw that we did the Novation Open. And golf is one of those games or activities that you can be pretty proud. Like, if you think you're good, you you, you know, the the best wood in your bag is that one with an eraser on it, right? The driver with the eraser, because you can fudge your score. I didn't really do that, or I I sort of tapped the ball, and I put it back. There was a time when we were playing last week, and I swung so hard, I missed the ball completely, just wrenched my back. I was like, does that count as a score? That doesn't count, right? I didn't touch the ball, so I guess it didn't. But, man, you're tempted you're tempted to cheat if you want to, people to think you're any good. The bar is starting to get set higher and higher every year at the Novation Open. Um, I, I read about this guy who was getting ready for his shot. He was dialed in, and he's you know, visualizing his shot, and he hears from the clubhouse over the loudspeaker, he hears, would the man hitting from the ladies' tee please move back to the men's? He kind of gives a scowl, and he gets ready to, to hit again. And Would the man on the ladies' tee please move back to the men's tee? He's like, would you shut up? So he goes to hit again, and here's the same thing. Would the man at the ladies' tee please move back to the men's? And he looks back to the clubhouse, and he said, would the man in the clubhouse be quiet so I can hit my second shot? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But in all seriousness, letting other people into your failures, admitting that, there's power in it. That's why AA and celebrate recovery and other things have power because it's an open honesty with other broken people. And whoever is the appropriate person for you to talk to, they're not, you know, prayerfully not going to judge you. They're going to walk with you and give you grace that we all need and need in our times of failure. Third thing that I see from what David does in Psalm 51 and what we need to do when we fail is do a 180. Do a 180. The word a 180 is I'm walking in this direction. I do a 180, walk in the complete opposite direction. When you and I, are, our behavior, our attitudes, our hearts are wrong, we need to repent. And we need to do a 180 and move away from that which is going to lead us to failure and to sin. And not just talking about it when we bring it to light and, and confess it to God, but we're actually saying, I want to do something about this. I really want my behavior to change. David says this in verses 8 through 12. He says, Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Here's his prayer of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. He wanted to walk with God. He wanted to walk in God's ways. David was, knew that God wasn't going to condemn him 
but he did experience consequences. And I think sometimes in our, our, our failures, the thing we, we hate the most is the consequences that come with it, right? And for us that are trusting in Jesus Christ, thank God for Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no pronouncement of judgment. There is grace for our lives and our sins. But there's still going to be consequences. Consequences are a great motivator to not fail, right? And consequences, David experienced consequences. I was thinking about when the night that Judas betrayed Jesus and Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. And we, we read in 2 Corinthians 7 that godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. Worldly sorrow leads to death. When you think of Peter and Judas, Peter had godly sorrow. He was broken over denying the Lord, and he ended up getting restored. Judas had sorrow, but he had a worldly sorrow that led to him to hang himself. And so in, in our lives, realize there is going to be pain and, and, and consequences when, when, we, when, we, when we blow it. But there's not condemnation for those that are in Christ. Don't hear that at all in this message this morning. God wants each of us to learn. And that's my next point. Learn from your failures and, tr- and trust God to work them for good. We need to learn from our failures. Failure can be an amazing teacher if we allow it. When you hear somebody's story about their failures in their life, but how God restored them, man, I want to hear from those kind of people. They've been through the tough stuff. David continues in Psalm 51. He says, then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive, forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. In other words, you don't want my religious behavior, God. You don't want an empty promise of, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. You want my heart. Because he goes on and says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken, repentant heart. Not one time in all of the Bible do you ever see someone come to God in repentance and God saying, nope, you've done too much. Nope, that was too big. You'll never find that anywhere in the Bible, that God is merciful. He's slow to anger and he's rich in love. In Romans 8.28, one of my favorite promises in the Bible is Romans 8.28. And the apostle Paul writes, he says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He causes everything. You know what that includes? Our failures, our sins. God, when we give them over to him and trust, learn from them, and we can help other people through their failures, and we can comfort those with the same comfort we've received from God, he even takes our bad decisions. Now, it doesn't mean go make a bunch of bad decisions, obviously, right? But he will take the one, our bad decisions, our bad behavior, our failures, and he'll work it for good. I said that David created a huge scandal, right? I found this most beautiful thing in this story. Many years later, 
Many generations later, there was another scandal. Joseph and Mary. Mary gets pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit with the Messiah, with Jesus. And there's a scandal because, A, she's, she's a virgin. She's betrothed to Joseph. Joseph, at first, doesn't know what's going on. He thinks that he cheated on her or, or something. And, and then Joseph gets the download from the angel that she's you know, been impregnated by the Holy Spirit and the Messiah coming. But they had to live in a scandal. Nobody believed or really understood what was going on at the beginning but them. And the most beautiful part that comes from David and Bathsheba is Jesus came from the lineage of David and Bathsheba. I love that about Jesus. There's some, there's some tough characters in his lineage. And he came from, from uh, David and Bathsheba. And so you see that in, in, in the, the, the generations that followed. Here comes Jesus. So it went from sin to a savior. Let that sink in. God can work all things for good, and he is working all things for your good and ultimately for his glory. The last thing is this. When you fail, leave them at the cross. Jesus died for your failures. I heard a guy once say that the only sin that we're free to talk about is forgiven sin. When you know that you've been forgiven of your failures, then you can openly say, here's what God did for me. Here's the beauty that God brought out of my failures. David, in the last verse, 19, says, then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will again be sacrificed on your altar. David was looking forward to the cross. Back in the old system, in the old covenant, they would sacrifice animals to atone for the sins of the people. All of that was type and shadow of what Jesus was going to do generations later on the cross. Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. There's no more sacrifices needed. You and I can't take away from the finished work of Jesus when we fail, nor can we add to it by our good character and behavior. We just trust it. Romans uh, chapter 5 says, God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you've never believed that or banked your life and your hope on that, today's the day. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life, died a brutal death, rose from the grave to give us relationship back to the Father. That's the gospel in a nutshell. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried right before he died out, and he said, it is finished. That word, it is finished, in the Greek is one word, teteliastai. And that word means the debt has been paid in full. So the debt of sin that I had towards God was paid for by Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel itself is, is flawless in its character. It's flawless. Therefore, it doesn't need you and I and our flawlessness to make it effective, right? It just needs our faith and our hope to activate it in our life. And today it may seem so small, your faith may seem so small, your hope may have dwindled. Whatever you have, give it back to Jesus. Trust in him today for salvation. Trust in him for your 
your, your present and your future. He died for sinners. <laughs> it's me. It's us. He died in our place. We're going to take communion as a way of responding to the Lord today. The, the table is up here. And I want you to just come and grab a piece of bread, grab a, the cup, go back to your seat. We're going to sing a song together. And then after that, we're gonna, we'll take communion together. But today, if, if you've never trusted in Jesus, or today you want to recommit your life to him, you're, something touched a nerve in you about your own failures, about things that you've been through in your life or where you're at right now, today's the day. His arms are open wide. A broken and contrite heart he will never reject. No matter what you've done, where you've been, today's the day to reaffirm your faith, hope, and trust in him. Why don't you move and grab the elements and we'll sing and take it together. As we get ready to take the communion elements together, I was thinking that those of you that are struggling with past sins that still haunt you, past failures, you've brought them to light, you've taken responsibility for it, you've confessed them to God and, and maybe to others, and you're not entertaining that failure or sin anymore, but you haven't left it at the cross completely. And as we take the bread and we take the cup, just remember, man, Jesus died for our sin. Like, believe that in your heart, that his body was broken and his blood was shed. It's done. Leave it at the cross. He doesn't see it anymore. Far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins from us. He took it and he bore it. Those of you that are in a, a present situation of, of failure or you're in, feel trapped in sin, listen, the same goes for you. Repent and give it over to Jesus and let him heal you. Let him heal your situation. Let him work his restoration process. And for all of us, just remember, Christ died for sinners. That's you and me past, present, and future. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was with his disciples, and he, he broke bread. He lifted it to heaven, and he blessed it, and he said, this represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. says that after supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it. And he said that this represents the blood that he was going to shed on the cross that ushered in the new covenant. No longer the blood of animals or any other sacrifice, but he was going to be the sacrifice of all sacrifices. 
that the new covenant, the new way of relating to God through Jesus and Jesus alone is what we have. Let's take the cup. Lord, we remember your body that was broken, your blood that was shed to free us, to heal us, to restore us. I thank you for that. Lord, I I know we are all a work in progress. But Lord, what you did in the past in, in, in justifying us, by faith in what you've did for us, you are now sanctifying us, you're, you're purifying us, and God, ultimately, you're gonna, we're going to be glorified with you in the life to come. And so help us, help us to continue to just follow you wholeheartedly, Lord. Continue to create in us clean hearts and a will, willing spirit. In Jesus' name, thank you for your love. Amen.